You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Now, Toby Ball, he understands that he caused an international incident. And now he is stepping up to take responsibility. And he offers this mea culpa. So I'm going to read a prepared statement and then not take any questions. I would like to apologize to the people of Ireland for mistakenly referring to Father Ted as a quote-unquote British show. I was carried away with my enthusiasm for Father Ted and Father Dougal and the rest of the gang's antics and spoke without thinking. (laughs) Moreover, my geographical ignorance was exposed (laughs) when I stated that Craggy Island was off the coast of Britain when anyone who can read a map will see that it is off the western coast of Ireland. In penance... I'm willing to entertain suggestions for some kind of Irish cultural experience to undertake. (laughs) Though not Finnegan's Wake, there are some limits. I will note that Thierry Henry has not made a similar offer to lead the line for Ireland after that goal. (laughs) So tweet at me, and I will see what I can do to get back in your good graces. In the meantime, those of you who are listening right as this episode drops, know that I am at this very minute at a Dropkick Murphys concert. They are Irish-American, but it is a first step. Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a look at Up and Vanished, a true crime podcast made by a guy who claims he has no idea what he is doing. So joining me to get all that done is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and cat lady with a cat with VD, <laughs> Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Do you want me to tell that story now or later? <laughs> We'll get to it in just a second, Laura. And finally, it's our favorite naysayer, the amazing noir novelist, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Uh, Good evening. I've just got nothing for you this week. (laughs) (laughs) So, Laura, as I just referenced, I haven't actually talked to you about this, but I saw something on Facebook that I want to learn a little bit more about. What the hell is going on with Stampy the Cat? Well, Stampy the Cat's had a rough run of it the last month or so. So um, this morning, he's laying on the bed, and my son's like, something's wrong with Stampy's eye. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's just a little runny. Well, then, like, I look at the cat. I, like, take a washcloth and clean off his eye, and it looks like he has no eyeball anymore. It's all swollen and disgusting. So off to the vet we go, and it was one of those situations where the vet says, you might want to just leave him here for the day. Oh, that's never good. It's never it's good. pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Sleep you. Sleep your wallet here, too. Yeah. So support our advertisers tonight so I can pay for Stampy. So <laughs> I go back to pick him up and I'm like, so so what is it? And the vet's like, well, I haven't seen this in a very long time, but I think oh, it's geez. chlamydia. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> Has Sammy been hanging out in the dorms at UNH or something? Well, all I can say is my husband and I were away for four days last weekend, and Stampy was inside by himself for four days. I don't know what the hell happened here, but clearly something went down in my he house. Wasn't inside by himself. Well, he was with <laughs> Zelda. I mean, you know. Oh, but did you get Zelda checked? Well, I haven't yet, but she hisses at him every time he goes near her. So I, I don't know what's been going on here. Get your stanky VD away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. yeah, it's a rough day for Stampy. Cats wow. get chlamydia. Apparently they do, in their eye. In their eye. They are so doing it wrong. <laughs> that is not how I got chlamydia. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I, never, I never had chlamydia. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Well, Toby, we know that you had a rough week. Our listeners heard your mea culpa at the beginning of the show. Thank you very much for uh, writing that up for us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I sent you some Amazon items earlier today that our listeners have purchased using the Amazon link at crimewriterson.com. And I understand that you've chosen a couple select items to read to us that we can um, interrupt you and comment on. I didn't realize about the interrupting and commenting, but I did pronounce some. <laughs> do you want me to read them? Yeah, yes, please, we do. Please. Why don't you tell us what you chose? All right. So the first one is sort of a good concept. Lego City Prison Island. <laughs> 60130. <laughs> Who would want their child to have that? Lego Rikers. <laughs> Lego Rikers. <laughs> Look, kids, here's the yeah, shower. It's like, it's, I don't know if it's Alcatraz or it's... Um, Rikers? No, that the the, uh, the French penal colony that had that movie with Steve McQueen in it, Papillon. <laughs> Do the little Lego guys like, have a little shiv? <laughs> All right. Craze Pony, E-Chine, E-F-O-1, F-P-V, Micro, A-I-O, Camera, 40-C-H, Transmitter Combo... For FPV indoor drone like Blade Inductrix, etc. What was it expensive? I I, I hid the amounts. <laughs> <laughs> I sorted them by price this week, Toby. I was hoping you would choose one of the expensive ones. Somebody brought like a really nice DSLR camera mm. last week. <laughs> it was really. But getting back to your your pick here, this this was like a drone. What I heard the word. I was about to say it's like kind of cool and also. Kind of creepy. Like so that's a peeping Tom who got it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Velvet Kitten Sweet Ruffles, short PJ set, 5632765379, large, pink slash white. Pink slash white. That's what happened to Stampy right there. <laughs> that's very specific. Oh, Wow. Well, listeners, if you're interested in having Toby read one of the items that you purchased to support the podcast, maybe you'll be helping Stampy get rid of his VD when you do. You can buy all the stuff you would have bought anyway by using the Amazon link at crimewriterson.com. Thank you in advance for all the expensive Christmas gifts that you plan to buy your family using the Amazon link at crimewriterson.com. I think we need a GoFundMe page for Stampy's Chlamydia. <laughs> All right. Now, Kevin, I have something I need you to say with some echo. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm I'm ready. Let's do it. I need you to say true crime podcast updates. Plural? No. (laughs) No. Okay. All right. True crime podcast podcast update. update. Okay. Got it ready. Here it comes. True True crime crime podcast podcast update. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you say that, are you saying it anticipating what it's going to sound like with the echo? Yeah. All right. It sounds sounds very dramatic. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Well, last week we talked about 
what could be happening with Serial Season 3. Correct. And I believe that you, Kevin, said... I, I don't think it'll be true crime. I actually don't think it'll ever be true crime again. That's what I said. <laughs> well, as many people in our audience pointed out to us, and as was all over the news, like the day our podcast dropped. So it's not my fault. <laughs> according to a report on Cleveland.com, serial host Sarah Koenig and the show's producer, Dana Chivitz, have been seen scouting a Cleveland area trial, listening and recording testimony. Uh, Douglas Shine, according to the Cleveland.com reporter, Corey Schaefer is accused of the February 2015 killing of three people at a barbershop in the suburban Cleveland community of Warrensville Heights. The trial, he writes, raises several issues currently dominating the national conversation over the criminal justice system. So one of the other stories I heard, somebody was asking, hey, Sarah and Dana, what are you doing here? And they said, working. So, guys, what do you think? It looks like we might be getting another true crime season of Serial. Laura, did you see this news? I did see this news, and I went and looked up the case. I was not familiar with it. Um, it wasn't a case that I've seen in the news. So I think this could be like Toby's dream here because this is a case that's actually going to address some issues and kind of big picture issues facing the country if this is indeed what they're going with. What do you think, Kevin, when you heard this news? Is this the Baltimore Sun article Yes. that you, you were looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're also sort of the caveat is that they're scouting I read into that as they're looking at different stories to see which one they might want to do. This probably, if, if they've gone to the trouble of getting to the to Cleveland and sitting in and started recording some stuff, that means that this is something that is probably near the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean this is going to be it, but I don't know. I'm kind of surprised. You know, I mean, I guess maybe they're listening to the audience. The people are screaming for more true crime stuff criminal justice stuff criminal justice stuff and you know anything that uh, comes out of serial people are going to listen to so we'll see what do you think Toby uh, yeah it sounds good to me I mean now they've got like a sample size to look at right so they can see what was so good about serial season one and then what was not that great about season two and draw conclusions and kind of fine-tune it for season three so I'm looking forward to it I actually have a theory that I want to float by you guys I'm wondering if perhaps they're not going to tell one story in Serial Season 3, but they're going to use... Oh. Maybe this case is part of a different story they're trying to tell. Like maybe they're doing Freddie Gray or maybe they're doing another well-known story like they did with Bo Bergdahl. And this trial and what's happening at it might be like an illustrative example mm-hmm. that they're using in like a different story that they're telling. I don't know. I'm sure that as soon as this news broke out, there were people, not us... But there were big serial fans who probably Googled every single item related to anybody on this case so that they could get caught up. Part of me thinks, like, you know, you're spoiling yourself. I, I want a serial case that I know nothing about, or I think I know about it, but I, like the Bo Bergdahl thing, I'm hearing everything that I didn't really know. Right. But think back, though. I mean, I'm wondering if this is not season three, if this is further work they're doing. Because when they were doing the podcast about Bergdahl, weren't they already working on season three? I remember hearing that rumor, too, but I don't think we know that for yeah. sure, right? Okay, yeah. so I don't know. And and it leads me, I mean, I guess we were all waiting for something to come out this fall, but if they're just there now, I'm thinking after Christmas. What do you guys think? Potentially. Oh, yeah, the earliest. 
if it's just that case. Now, I got to say, if anyone out there knows anything, we have a podcast that loves talking about cereal. Feel free to drop us a tip. We, yeah. know, we know how to keep it confidential. <laughs> Bullshit, we do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'd like to, to get into the thing that we are all here to talk about this evening. We do get a lot of listener email and tweets about what podcasts we should be listening to and talking about, what TV shows, etc. One of the podcasts that we had pimped to us the most often lately is the hit show Up and Vanished. This is an investigative podcast about the 2005 disappearance of Osceola, Georgia beauty queen Tara Grinstead. Now, before we get into our discussion about Up and Vanished, let's first listen to my conversation with someone who knows a little bit about that show. My name is Payne Lindsay, and I'm a documentary filmmaker from Atlanta, and I currently host and produce an investigative podcast called Up and Vanished. Now, Payne, you say in the first episode of the podcast exactly how it is that you started doing that. You sort of, I don't want to say take away all your own credibility, (laughs) but you basically say, like, I'm not an investigator. I've never done this before. I was just Googling cases, and I found this one, and it seemed interesting, and then I was sort of sucked into it. I'm curious to know why you set it up that way. I mean, you do have filmmaking experience. Ostensibly, you have done projects before, but why distance yourself from somebody who knows what they're doing right at the outset of the podcast? I guess initially I said that because I didn't want to seem like I was just posing as an investigative journalist when I'm not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, I just kind of wanted to be open about it and truthful in the beginning and kind of show that, you know, I didn't even know if I could do this. So, you know, that was one reason that I chose to say that. And I I put some thought into whether or not I should approach it that way. But I was like, you know, I'm just going to be open about this thing and just tell them that, hey, I'm not an investigator and I'm not a podcaster. And, you know, I think people out there that can relate to that, I think. Yeah. And I think that for some people, it just goes really bad. You know, somebody who doesn't have the experience and dives into sort of starting just poking around in a case where law enforcement is actively involved or isn't. And it can go really bad. But before we really start this discussion, can you just give us a thumbnail sketch of the case that you are investigating in this podcast? Sure. So Up and Vanish is about a missing woman named Tara Grinstead. And she was a 30 year old former beauty queen. And she was a high school teacher in a small town in South Georgia called Osceola. And Tara competed in several beauty pageants uh, throughout her 20s. And she was pretty successful at it. And she used all the money she earned to kind of pay her way through college. And she eventually became a history teacher when she graduated at a local high school there. And on October 22nd of 05, Tara went to a local pageant where some students that she knew um, and she helped with for the pageant were competing. When the pageant was over... She left and drove to a friend's house who was having a barbecue just a few blocks from her home. And then she left the barbecue at 11 o'clock, and she's never been seen since. One of the people that you introduce us to near the beginning of the podcast is this private investigator and a forensic investigator also, uh, Maurice Godwin. He worked on the case, and he was originally hired by the Grinstead family, right? That's correct. So he reached out to you, and he's been in every episode of the podcast, really like you're investigating partner in a way and like really providing a both a resource and sending you leads which I think is really really interesting is he still working with the family or is he pursuing this independently so he was hired in 06 um, a couple months after she disappeared and he came down to Osceola and did his own investigation and the family was concerned that law enforcement wasn't doing enough and they just wanted to pull as many resources as possible into the case basically since then he's just been working on the case not officially for the family, but 
he's just a guy who this is one of the biggest cases that was left unsolved. So he doesn't want to go to his grave with this thing unsolved. So it's more of a passionate thing for him just to try to solve this. One of the things that's come up a few times in your show, and I think one of the most interesting rubs here, I mean, we've talked about in the past people doing podcasting projects or other kinds of projects who aren't reporters and who aren't investigators by trade, the rub that you can have with law enforcement if a case is still actively being investigated. And one of the really interesting things that happens on your show, I don't want to be too spoilery for our listeners who might not have heard it yet, is that (laughs) you guys get a tip and go and (laughs) literally kind of like dig up some evidence. um, (laughs) And then somehow law enforcement gets tipped off to the same tip, either they were tipped off that you were there or in some other way, they end up, the Georgia Bureau investigation goes to the same scene and does their own search shortly after you did, right? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I didn't expect that to happen. (laughs) So is there a tie somewhere between either your production and law enforcement? Like, do you have a source in law enforcement or is there, you think, something on your side that is feeding law enforcement some information aside from just media reports about your work on the case? I don't think there's anybody, you know, leaking information to the law enforcement. I definitely don't have any relationships with them. Um, I know of a couple different people. I've met with the chief of police at Osceola, the town where Tara disappeared from. He's a really nice guy. We got a pretty good rapport. But besides that, there's no real direct connection. And, you know, I think the reason why the GBI went and searched that house that I searched is because whenever I was leaving that day, I know still a police car drove by and they saw me. And Osceola is a really small town. And at this point, the podcast was gaining some traction. And I'm pretty sure they knew who this guy with a camera and a microphone and headset was <laughs> walking around next to this house. And in the house it was, which I haven't revealed in the podcast, was significant to the case. And they would have known that. So I think they just put two and two together there. Right. Now, when you said you weren't going to reveal it in the podcast, I have to be honest, there's a few things that you do that really assuage some of the concerns I would normally have about a project like this. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that you did was you say, I can't tell you what this location was. And I'll tell you as a listener and as somebody who's reported on true crime, what that signals to me is that this house is connected with somebody who had been looked at or was a suspect. And you didn't want to be throwing out a name of somebody who might or might not, you know, have a body buried under their house, literally. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't think that you see that as your role necessarily. Are you hoping that the work you do will lead law enforcement to solve this case? Or are you hoping just to keep the case alive, push it along so that they're held accountable for their investigation? I mean, I'm curious to know what your mission is here. I just want it solved. I don't care who solves it. I wish that the law enforcement already did solve it. But, you know, with it being 11 years now, I figured it's time for a different approach. And the goal for the podcast was to kind of build a community of other people who are like me, who, you know, aren't investigative journalists who don't work for news channels, don't have degrees in criminal justice, but just want to solve something. And I think together we can hopefully get closer to some sort of resolution. Another thing that really differentiates your podcast, I think, from others where people who aren't investigators have tried to solve cases is that you actually have developed some pretty solid sources. You've talked to friends of Tara's, the victims. You've talked to the people who have been involved in the search. You are, as you said, talking, you have a relationship with the chief of police. He's helped you, you know, dig up some records. So it's not like you are out there kind of going rogue, poking sticks at things. Like people are talking to you. 
How did you get those emails? <laughs> That's one of the things I was wondering. I mean, is that something that you can share with me? Because I don't know if you have both sides of the conversation, but you have I can't hers. reveal the actual source, but okay. they were legally obtained. Okay, um, they were legally I obtained. I got them with permission. I didn't, like, steal them or something. That's what's interesting to me. And I wonder if you've thought about, without naming sources, throwing in there that, like, you know, these were given to us somebody close to the case. And obviously they add, like, a really interesting insight into Tara and what her state was when she disappeared. Yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely plan on, you know, probably even posting the actual emails on my website at some point and definitely exploring it further. Um, but I've just been kind of really trying to take it slow and kind of protect myself because I'm still really in an active investigation of my own right now. And it's, it's pretty much caught up with itself at this point. Right. So I don't want so-and-so to think that I'm on to them. So I want to keep certain things a secret, not just to be secretive, but more to protect the investigation and push this thing forward. Well, let's talk about the case a little bit more. So you have your victim, Tara Grinstead, and you set her up, I think, in the first episode, very much as a lot of true crime media sets up a victim. You said she's beautiful, she was talented, she had a bright future ahead of her, everyone loved her, and then she disappeared. And as the podcast has continued, we're getting a little bit more of a complex picture of mm -hmm. her state of mind and where she was in her life. Do you now see her victimology a little bit differently, that maybe she was in a more complicated place than you initially thought when you first stumbled upon this case on the Internet? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll go ahead and just say this. I think that her state of mind during that time is directly related to her disappearance in some way. You know, I can't pinpoint exactly what that is at this moment, but I just feel deep down that the state of mind she was in is part of the reason why she isn't here today. Now, you do have some people that you've outlined on the podcast. You have, by the way, been publicly looked at as potential suspects or at least characters involved in the case. Mm -hmm. um, there's Tara's ex-boyfriend, Marcus Harper. There is the married cop, perhaps boyfriend, Heath Dykes, the one who was sent by the family to check on her well-being, but who apparently had a lot of other contact with her. He's the one who yeah. also strangely left his business card at her house. You also talk about Michael Langford, also a cop. His car was found at the burnt-out house that you investigated that you had been pointed to by the dog searchers who said they had received just one hit in the whole search for Tara, and it was at this house that actually burned down during the investigation. And then you also talk about Marcus Harper's alibi, who is another cop on the force. Now, Marcus Harper, I think to a lot of people, and a lot of people in the podcast have said at least one person notably has said, He's the one that people in town sort of say was involved. Sure. But he had an alibi. Yeah, so he had a, quote, airtight alibi, according to investigators. So my goal was to figure out, okay, well, let's see how airtight this alibi really is. Because if it's not, then he immediately becomes a suspect, in my opinion. So the alibi he has is that he was at a local bar called the White Horse Saloon about 15 minutes outside of town. And sometime that night around 1 a.m., he left the bar and he met up with a friend who was a local police officer named Sean Fletcher. And they hopped in the car together and they did a, a ride along where he basically just sat in the passenger seat with him and went uh, with Sean on all of his stops that night. And essentially, investigators believe that Tara disappeared sometime that night. So basically he was with another police officer for the entire duration of her disappearing is what it seems like. But my goal was to see if there was any sort of time gaps there or, we you know, it's been 11 years, have things got confused or 
how hard did they really look into it back then because they were investigating their own police officers, really. This is another one of these cases, you know, as we heard of in the podcast, In the Dark. There are like sort of multiple jurisdictions here. There's a police department, there's a sheriff's department, and there's the GBI, right? Mm-hmm. So these officers, are they in the sheriff's department or the police department? They're with the Osceola Police, the the city. Okay, so they're like the local cops. They weren't the ones involved in the investigation into the disappearance, right? They sort of have a different jurisdiction. I mean, how does it well, work there? So Osceola PD was the first that was called to the scene when Tara was reported missing Monday morning. So they arrived first, and once they realized that she might not be coming back and they kind of got some ominous vibes from the whole scene, the police chief at Osceola knew they didn't have the resources for this, so they immediately called the GBI. All right. Now, before you and I talked, I was doing a little poking around around this case. And like some of the other cases that we've talked about on our podcast, this one has a long Internet trail of people giving interviews about it. Tara's sister has gone on the record several times with reporters. You know, there are television shows that have been produced about the case. So there's a lot kind of out there floating around. And one of the things that I found, and I don't know if you can clear this up for me, is that Sean Fletcher, who is Marcus Harper's alibi that night, he was also a cop that Tara had had like a conflict with in the past. Was he the one that she had reported at some point in the past? That's correct. So I mentioned in, I believe, episode two, a man named Anthony Vickers, who was a student who was rumored to be having some sort of relationship with Tara about six months prior to her disappearance. So one day, Tara wasn't answering her phone, so Anthony freaked out, and he went over to her house and banged on the door, and she called the cops on him. And one of the cops that came there was Sean Fletcher, and she didn't want Sean to tell anybody that Anthony came there and that Heath Dykes was inside the house with her because she didn't want her ex-boyfriend, Marcus Harper, finding out. But... He did tell Marcus Harper, so she got mad and filed a report against Sean Fletcher. This is a much smaller community of people than you would imagine it would be. I mean, it's I... like way, it's way tinier than you could ever imagine. <laughs> I mean, it's like the the police station is probably 150 yards from her house. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. You know, I do audio production on the podcast Undisclosed, and they're looking at a case that also took place in Georgia. You know, it's a relatively small community there, too. And when people talk about the cops sort of being involved in the story in ways that you wouldn't expect in other places. Oh, yeah. It's like true. I mean, these cops are characters who drive around the streets, sometimes harass people, sometimes have great relationships with people. But they're just they're part of the community. They're not watching over the community, as I think we often imagine cops do. They're actually in the story also. They're just like fallible characters in the story. You know, I'm familiar with South Georgia. I got family all over, and uh, my family has a lake house in a, a really tiny town called Fort Gaines. And so I've, I've been familiar with small town Georgia before, but even then, I was still surprised at how small and close everything was. And everyone seriously knows everybody. And I've never really seen that firsthand. I, you hear about it, but to see it, it's just a different experience for me. Well, there's a lot, obviously, to uncover. I'm, re- I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what else you find. It really sounds like things are happening in real time. Um, you've said that on the podcast. You've changed your production schedule to accommodate it. Are you actively getting tips and leads? Is that what's happening right now? I am. I'm getting tons of stuff. You know, basically, since the first episode, I've had a surge of new information, and a lot of it is just rumors, but I've also received a lot of the same rumors from people that are told exactly the same way. So 
you know, even with the leads that seem like they're probably not true, I'm investigating all of it to see where it goes. So I'm just taking it all, ingesting it, and trying to focus on how to, you know, see the bigger picture here with everything I got. So can we talk about the style of your podcast for a couple minutes? Yeah, for sure. All right. Please, please don't mind my questions if they seem obnoxious. <laughs> it's cool. First off, I love, love the theme music. Where did you find it? What's the story behind that? Cool. So I got it from Musicbed, and the artist's name is Ezra Rose. The song's called Ophelia, and probably about three or four months before I even released the podcast, I knew that I wanted to have a really awesome theme song for it. And I searched high and low, and actually, I got it from a website called Musicbed, and they actually helped me find it, believe it or not, and I just found that that song and played it, and I was like, "This is it." So I kind of I took the acapella of it and put like a drone sound under it, just to make it sound a little bit more ominous. But it just had a, a nice ring to it, and it was the perfect time. And that was a, a major focus of mine in the beginning was to have an awesome theme music because I loved the serial theme song. I would like to sing it in my head, so. I wanted to have the same effect. <laughs> it does have an evocative, um, you know, you have a story about a pageant person. You have a story that takes place in the South in sort of like a a place where people are named Melba. <laughs> <laughs> right. So second of all, I just want to say, the second thing that I loved about your podcast, and I hope she comes back on, was your grandma, who makes an appearance at, near the end yes. of the first episode. and She'll be back. <laughs> okay, good. She, I think, is your investigative ace in the hole. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and also, I think your formatic ace in the hole. It's funny because you use a lot of Foley, especially in the first episode of the podcast, which is something that on our show we're not huge fans of when in nonfiction yeah. storytelling. And I told Kevin when I told him that we were going to be listening to this, I was like, you got to do something for me because he's like the biggest Foley hater of all. <laughs> yeah. Keep with it and wait for grandma. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I do feel like the tone really changes when we hear grandma. It becomes more personal, and you, you realize that, like, you are more connected to this than we think you are as listeners because you have these personal connections. Mm -hmm. uh, your grandma's friend, Melby, was there at the pageant, which blew my mind. That was yeah, really, really mind. something. I, I couldn't believe it. I called my mom right after that. I was like, you won't believe what grandma said. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you need to bring those ladies into the podcast. Now, so let's talk about your friend Rob, the true crime voiceover guy. He does a lot of the expositional narrative and unpacking things like timelines and investigative details. Why did you make the choice to use that expositional, true crime-sounding voiceover narrator dropped into your podcast? I kind of wanted to shake it up a little bit so it didn't get so redundant with just me breaking you know, evidence to you. And my whole mindset about everything, I'm thinking about it in terms of almost like a TV show. That's how creatively I looked at everything when I first started this. I wanted it to basically be almost an audio version of an episode of TV because that's all I kind of really know how to do or, or up to this point knew how to do. So I wanted to make it an experience for the listener, but also still show that personal side. So he's a good friend of mine, and he's he's done a bunch of work with me in the past on commercial work that I've done. And I reached out to him and had him say a couple lines, and it just kind of worked out, and I, I just kept running with it. One of the things that stuck out to me, and I'm only bringing it up because I know it's going to come up in the podcast, and I want to give you a chance to explain it. You go to the newspaper office, and you talk about the dripping buckets, and then we hear like a lot of dripping. Was that Nat sound that you captured, or did you add that sound later? That's all real sound. So I, I actually did a documentary um, called Our People that was a Kickstarter-funded thing where I went around the country about a year and a half ago, and I was directing it, but I was also running the sound. So I was 
basically just getting a bunch of audio bits of real sound from everywhere. So when I was in there, I, I took a separate two minutes and just put my mic next to the buckets. And there was for real like three or four buckets in there. I mean, it sounds like I probably made it up, but <laughs> and it's kind of surreal. But I, I wanted that. But you know, the cool thing about the podcast is that, you know, it is all real and, you know, I can stand by that. So but yeah, all this most of the sound design like that is all stuff I really grabbed from a microphone. See, that's something that I wanted to hear you say. I actually, Maybe it's less cheesy that way. <laughs> no, you know what? I actually suspected that, and I suspected it when I heard the episode where you went under the house, because I heard a lot of sound there that uh-huh. sounded like actual sounds that you'd pick up on a mic, and I felt like you laid off the enhancement a little bit in that scene, because you didn't need to, because you guys were so tightly like packed, and I'm assuming oh, yeah. it was a very tight space. It was really tight. And it sort of made me think back, and the, what I thought was, okay, when you're starting the project, you obviously don't know where it's going to go. You don't know that you're going to have exactly. like a gajillion listeners, and you think, I'm going to put a lot of crafting and care into this. Exactly. And then you realize later, no, I just need the sound of the digging. <laughs> right. Yeah, so some things, you know, don't require as much, but, you know, that was, the digging sounds were all real as well. You know, I'm trying to paint a picture for you because you can't see it, so you can only tell what it is by hearing the sounds or me telling you what it is. I basically wanted to make a podcast that I would want to listen to, so that's pretty much why it sounds like it does, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense, and you know what? I really have gotten into it. I really feel like I understand what it is that you're doing. I feel like you are experimenting in a way that other folks haven't done well. You know, I feel like there's an earnestness out there with reporting when you add things like Foley and sound, it doesn't work. And then I also feel like on the other hand, we talked about a podcast a few months ago uh, produced by the CBC that's also being made by a filmmaker that had a lot of what you're doing in it, except the case clearly wasn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we now call it Someone Doesn't Know Anything. Um, <laughs> right. And actually, someone in your podcast, in the episode that I listened to this morning on my walk in the woods, said, you know, someone knows something here. And I actually thought to myself, you know what, in this case, someone actually does know something. And that's really interesting to me. That's what I hoped. Uh, I didn't want to not find anything. And yeah, I listened to that same podcast and I think it, it was well done, but everyone wants it to go somewhere. People don't want to listen to just people talking about the same thing over and over again and never finding any sort of resolution or feeling like you're getting close to one. So I'm, that's definitely my goal is to get us close to that at the very least. I have one final question before I let you go. Cool. Is there something you now know that you just can't wait for your audience to find out? Absolutely. (laughs) And it's almost like torture for me to keep it to myself, but there are going to be some very big revelations in these next six episodes. I can guarantee you that. So. Well, I will tune in, you know, sound effects and all. I'm really into it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And uh, Payne, I can't thank you enough for like taking the time to talk to me about this and also peeling back some of the layers on the process of how you're making this. It's something that I don't think we've been able to get into with some of the other people we've talked to. And I really appreciate you talking to us about that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. The theme song that we just heard there coming out of that interview, do you love it as much as I do? Oh my gosh, I was listening to this on an airplane last weekend and I was singing it to myself. It just, it has such a haunting (laughs) quality to it. It really is, it just sticks with you. I love it. What about you, Kevin? What do you think about the Up and Vanished theme song? Well, it's very evocative. I forgot, what's the, uh, the host's name? Payne Lindsay. 
Yeah, pain. Pain is not something you will feel when you're using a Harry's razor, oh. though. It's because it is so sharp and so smooth that you get a really great close shave. Wow. Pain isn't something you'll feel when you're using a Harry's razor. That yeah. was a rapid transition, Kevin. Yeah. Well, you know, the big razor companies, <laughs> they have this habit of putting out, like, the newest model, and then they raise the high price, and it's just like, you know, they make it green or whatever, and they put a new fancy new name on it, and the price keeps going up. But Harry doesn't do the same thing. They make improvements, but they keep their prices exactly the same. So right now, Harry's five-blade razors include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide. And Toby... I think you'll agree with me. I don't know how that glide could get any more comfortable because it's like, like you said, you pull it down your cheeks and it's like you think, did I even like touch my own skin? Did I accomplish anything? Right. <laughs> it's going to feel like putting putting your beard back on. <laughs> <laughs> they have a trimmer blade for those hard to reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control for when it's wet. <laughs> So Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades that they will send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Free when you sign up for a shave plan. Just pay shipping. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Enter code CRIME at checkout to get a post-shave bomb added to your free order. I have the bomb. I know you do. Do you like the bomb? I do like the bomb. Some people u- use that because like they've got like razor burn. You don't get razor burn, but I do like how it feels smooth like underneath my neck, right on my throat, and then you get there's just a, a tiny a sousant of a of, of, uh, of a, a fine cheese. A fine uh, of a nut. <laughs> Just a little bit of a smell there that, you know, it's not like it's uh, cologne, but it just really kind of like brisk on your straight, cheeks. Straight up question. Yeah. We have in the past belonged to like a razor subs- subscription service, not Harry's. Yeah. Does Harry's like blow the other one out of the water? Oh, it's like five times as better because well, it's got five blades. So that's something that would be like a great gift for the holidays then. Yeah, not for me because I already belong to Harry's oh, and have plenty okay. of Harry's razors, but we should get some for the boys. That's a good idea. One Harry's razor will last your son seven months. <laughs> I've already maxed out with my relatives so I can give Harry's razors too. I've already done a round of birthdays, and, and it's just been Harry Razor after Harry's Razor. <laughs> My goodness. That is one clean-shaven family. Yeah, our skin's feeling good. It is a great gift for the holidays. If you'd like, go to harrys.com right now and enter code CRIME at checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave bomb. That's harrys.com, and that's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Code CRIME. Code CRIME. Harrys.com, and use the promo code CRIME. Crime. Okay, anything else we need to talk about, Kevin? Yeah, um, sorry guys, I have these progressive glasses and it's a real bitch to read stuff now. How about you let me read this one then? Yeah, okay. All right, so you can't read because of your your progressive glasses. You can see me though. I can see you. How's my hair look? Your hair looks awesome. What did you do this weekend, Rebecca? I used my Madison Reed hair color from the Madison Reed box that came. It was luxurious at-home color. It did not make a mess of the bathroom because it's made with all natural ingredients and my hair, guys, I am not BSing you because this is an ad. It is soft, shiny. The color is gorgeous. I love this product. MadisonReed.com. Now, what I know about Madison Reed is that they have hair color that is the first ever six free permanent hair color. It means that it doesn't have like all the nasty stuff. Like it doesn't have ammonia, gluten, parabens, resorcinol. Resorcinol? Glutens? Wait, is that the stuff that Hillary Clinton was wearing? 
when 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 Trump was like, "You're a nasty woman" or whatever. It was the it, resource and all. It it, it it could have been in her hair color. I don't know. It might have had phthalates and gluten right. and PPD. I mean, these are all weird things. Like when you start looking up what this stuff is that people put in their hair to color it. These are things you wouldn't want in the water in yeah. your house for sure. And it's, we have a well, so. And, <laughs> yeah, it's not like the nice stuff that comes with Madison Reed. They use nutrient-rich carotene, argan oil, and ginseng root extract to pamper and protect like never before. I love the product. I really, really do. Your hair looks great, by the way. Well, thank and you. And it was very soft when we when you let me run my feel dry yes you let me touch your hair once i know a year and this was the time and it was very nice yeah Yeah, i know i think i don't think my hair lady is going to be mad at me at all you can find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com that's madison-reed.com you'll have beautiful healthy looking hair color with over 40 shades to choose from and a 100 percent guaranteed shade match try it love it satisfaction and happiness guaranteed Find your perfect shade with madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first kit with the code writers. Writers. The code is writers. Writers. At checkout, the code is writers. Writers. Madison-reed.com. I'm glad I got to help you with the reading. It makes me feel useful. Well, I'm glad that you don't have right now any parabens or- <laughs> Gluten. Or, yeah, or resource and all in your hair. In fact, I think some of that stuff is like, they, they use that in like pharmaceuticals. Like to treat cat chlamydia <laughs> as a topical. So, again, why color your hair with that? Okay, can we talk about Up and Vanish now, please? Let's do that. All right. So, Up and Vanished. When I first started listening to this podcast, my first thought was, Toby and Kevin are going to hate <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. That changed for me a little bit of the way in. But, Toby, I would love to hear what your first impressions were of Up and Vanished when you started listening to it. You know, I, I didn't hate it right off the bat. <laughs> I had to grow into the hate is what he's saying. No, I, I mean, I, I honestly, just because so many people had recommended it and stuff, just listened to the first couple episodes without, you know, kind of prejudging. Overall, I like the podcast quite a bit. So it it does sort of hit some of my pet peeves or there, I guess they're not even really pet peeves, just things that I don't like that happen in podcasts. But I think he does it in a different way, I think, than other ones have. And I think because of the way he approaches it, I don't find it like objectionable or I don't have that kind of feeling that that maybe he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. What about you, Kevin? Was my instinct right about you hating this podcast when I first started listening to it? (laughs) You said because I'll hate that there are artificial sound effects in it and that it's uh, an amateur investigator who says, oh, gee whiz, I'll go out and solve this. But then by the end of the episode, when he talks to his grandma, I'm going to be in it. That's how I felt. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think... um, you know, I really like Payne. I liked your interview with him. He's a sharp guy. He comes off as being sort of self-aware enough to know what those pitfalls are and is trying to avoid them. The idea that this is all natural sound, like I'm going to call BS on a couple of things. The first two minutes, there's sound of like police coming and rapping on the door to look for the, you know. He that was Foley. Yeah. That was, yeah. Right. And, and Foley is is a, is a Hollywood term for Sound effects that are that are made by a uh, sound effects artist, you know, actually running, and so you hear their footsteps on a piece of wood. Yeah, or or just downloaded like from the internet and used as sound effects. That's not fully. That's a sound effect. <laughs> but yeah, there is a lot of use of natural sound to 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 color it. But there are also certain things where I'm kind of like, 
you know, there was this quick montage of him on the telephone. Hi, I'm paying, but you know, and it was just like that was just too clean, and it, it just it just didn't ring true. But now I'm being super picky here. Again, it's the idea of like, hey, this is the biggest investigative case in Georgia, and these hundreds of police officers couldn't solve it. So I've never done anything like this. So maybe I will. <laughs> Which reminds us of. Somebody knows something. But I will say, I'm going to get, I don't know where this goes yet. And he's promising a big finish here with the last six episodes. Right. Kind of waiting for that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my powder dry. I like the guy. Again, I don't want to be, I've had a long run here of A minuses. Right. And I'm just, it's right now the grade is incomplete. Gotta well, see I'm something. not going to ask for a grade this time because we're not. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. But And also, but but do you understand my point when I said to him, like, you can tell the first episode he worked on for a really long time because it was sort of overworked. Uh-huh. And then the other episodes just sort of more happen. I mean, there's some of those elements are there, but they're not like they're not as distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura, what did you think when you first started listening? Were you like, what have I gotten myself into or were you into it? Um, well, you know, I was trapped on a plane, so I didn't really have any other choice but to listen because um, I didn't have Wi-Fi or movies. But, you know, it, it definitely I felt like the first episode started very slow for me and I was listening and I'm like, oh, OK. But once we got through that first episode and then more elements about the story started coming out about her life and maybe it wasn't quite what you expected. You know, once the story started getting going, I was definitely more into it. I had a hard time adjusting to the voiceover guy, Rob. Rob, yep. And Payne said this. I mean, I felt like I was listening to one of, a little bit like one of the shows that we've been on, those investigation discovery shows where we're having reenactments and then here comes the voiceover guy, like a commercial. But it was actually maybe easier for me to absorb what he was saying in that voice once I get used to it. But when it first started, I was like, oh, I don't like this. I don't, I don't you like know the what voiceover saved guy. That for me. What? When he, he's like, here's my friend Rob to, <laughs> you know, read this thing. <laughs> you know, it just, that, that I found that like totally disarming, you know. And it was fresh. It, it was very fresh. Yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah, I got this buddy. He's got a pretty good, pretty good radio voice. So he's going to read this <laughs> for me. That's a good word, Toby, disarming, because there are sorts of things where in the hands of other podcasters, this just comes off really hackneyed or ham-fisted. Right. And the fact that he sort of, I mean, he doesn't like overtly call himself out, but he has enough charm and enough intelligence and just enough of sort of the idea of the sound design and what he wants it to sound like that you don't totally discount him. Yeah, you, you're not at the eye-rolling point yet. Right. Well, I'm going to- And you need to stick around because apparently he's got a good story. And right. He's got to deliver it. I'm going to actually throw another podcast out there that I know a lot of our listeners listen to, and I'm not mm-hmm. dissing you if you listen to it, but it's not for me. Like, that's a that's a fair thing to say, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's Sword and Scale. Right. Which is, like, really popular. And I know that Michael, the guy who makes it, is a really nice guy, and it's just not for me. Like, it's not the kind of- podcast I like to listen and, to. And I know you've listened to a lot of episodes. I right? have. I've heard, yeah. I have. It sounds like, it sounds to me just like a Discovery ID TV show. It's produced very much in that style and that's what it's supposed to be. And I agree with Toby that Payne separates himself by injecting that sort of self-aware stuff. And I also want to point something else out. Like the formatic stuff that is that takes you out of the texture. Kevin, when we started These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, what was the thing we heard the most complaints about? You. No. <laughs> Me? 
No, it's the sound elements. Yeah, it's right. The sound design, the little like jingles that you had mm-hmm. made, uh, and the theme song, and like the little favorite law and order to tick. Yeah, right. People didn't like it. Yeah, and but now, we're unapologetic about it. We're, That's the way the show's going to sound. This is the way it's going to sound. This is how it was envisioned. This is how yep. we wanted to sound. We wanted to be like a little punchy and plus. Production-wise, it helps to have those elements to sort of separate the conversation for editing purposes, right? right? So you see some parallels here that he's he's using sort of the same sensibility. He's trying something, yeah. and he's committing to it, which is what we did. And guess what? Like six weeks later, the only thing people tweet us about is how much they love the theme song. From our the, 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 yeah. their story. So there is something to trying something and, and really sticking with it that artistically speaking, like... I respect that he's doing Right, that. whether you like it or not, he's sticking to his guns, which is... And now I'm actually starting to like it. That's the thing. When I first yeah. heard it, I was like, I don't like that. And now I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of liking it. So uh, I do want to talk about Grandma for a second, okay? Because her, her cowboy cookies? <laughs> yeah, I actually... <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about the cookies in a, in a second. But Laura, did you hear what I heard? The fact that he called Grandma... And grandma actually connected with him to a real person who was like a good witness in the case, like immediately. Yeah, that was amazing. And not only a good person, somebody who was there the night that she vanished. I mean, it was just like, I'm like, wow, grandma is connected. She clearly knows. I think she's going to be a recurring character. She better be. That's all I have to say. So now now say what you want to say about the cookies. I know you have feelings about that. <laughs> so was anybody else a little freaked out that he mailed real cookies through the mail? I mean... I don't know. I, I thought... I think I missed that. Was that in one of the shorter episodes? Um, like, when did that happen? It was a contest he ran. At the end of episode three, yeah. he announced the winner. Oh, and you he, know what? When the episode was winding down, I was listening to the whole series, so I knew mm-hmm. the episode was winding down, so I just skipped to the next episode. Uh-huh. What did I miss? He sent grandma's cookies to somebody. He sent a box of grandma's <laughs> cookies to somebody, and I want to know what was in those cookies. I mean, that's what I need to know. That's more interesting to you than the burnt-out house. Cowboys, apparently. <laughs> the, were the cookies. cookies. Well, that is actually unusual. a Laura thing, though, right? I mean, it's, it's just, a very Laura yeah, thing yeah. To, to care about the that. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's you know, I think that's one of the things that's kind of you know, I don't want to use the word charming, but in some ways that it fits is that he's kind of doing this podcast. You know, I'm sure he's he's got help, but but it's more or less on his own as sort of the face of it or the voice of it, I guess. But it's like, you know, here's my buddy who's got a good voice. Hey, I'm going to go talk to my grandma. Maybe she knows something. But it all works. And, you know, even when he, like, goes under the house, it, it seems like he's do, he's doing things in a way that are kind of thoughtful and also keeping in mind maybe what is and what isn't kind of an appropriate tone to be set. Like, I didn't get the feeling like he's not like like this Avenger coming to like make things right in this case or he's not going into wild conjecture he's kind of investigating the case in a a fairly responsible way and letting us know what he finds out and to me it seems defensible and it's kind of you know refreshing to have somebody who's not quite as polished not that there's anything wrong with being polished and i thought those other podcasts were great but just as like a change of pace this sticks out in my mind in some ways because of that aspect of things. I think his instincts are good. And the reason I know that is because unlike some other podcasts out there where they sort of have an amateur investigator, he's got real sources, like already, immediately. Like he gets the PI who used to be working on the case. But he also talked to the victim's friend. He's got, you know, the chief of police in Osceola, Georgia, helping him out. He talked to the Anthony Vickers, the student that yeah, people right. say she was sleeping with. Like he's doing a good job doing his due diligence, 
getting sources, getting good interviews in this case. Does it surprise you that an amateur investigator who basically, in a way that I almost like, like disqualified himself in the beginning of the podcast from like being qualified to do this? Is it surprised you how far he's gotten and how many good sources he's cultivated? I mean, he got the tip about the thing under the house. You know, he went there. Mm-hmm. He's like actually doing the legwork and digging things up and getting these sources. He got the email? Yes. Oh, Yes, yeah. he got the email, which, you know, he says he obtained legally. Like when I say his instincts are good, mm-hmm. he knows that there's an illegal way to obtain emails in a legal way. <laughs> and he knows that you shouldn't, if someone says, don't say who gave it to you, like he knows you shouldn't. And he knows that you shouldn't say who that person's house is because it's not cool. Yeah, there was some good restraint on some of these things to not only maintain the integrity of the police investigation, but to maintain the viability of his storytelling. So yeah, he's, he's, he's gotten some good sources and he's working from a good point. But then again, what he doesn't have, and maybe it's just, you know, the, you know, the audacity of hope, <laughs> of youth, the audacity of youth, that, you know, what he doesn't have is that giant Georgia Bureau of Investigation file. Right. And what that means is in that investigation, he's by himself. He doesn't have the benefit of the hundreds of man hours that dozens of investigators did already talking to those people and right. talking to the people that won't talk to him, but they need to talk to an officer and putting all those documents together. Now, he's starting from apparently from scratch and going one way. Now, either he could be on the right track, which is the easy answer and the GBI got hung up because they couldn't prove it. Right. And we had this discussion last time about what you know, what you can prove. Right. And he's just going to bolt through it or he's like they say, following a white rabbit. And he just he's just never going to have the resources to be, I'm Arthur who pulled the sword from the stone. Right. Now, I will say there's enough out there about this case that you don't have to start from scratch if you're going to investigate it. Like I found... When I was prepping for that interview with him, and I hate to say- Are you doing your own podcast on this now? No, but I found so many interviews that family members had given and so forth on shows like Nancy Grace and so forth, where there's just a lot of information out there where you can piece together sort of character studies about the suspects and the people sort of involved, people who have been named publicly. So, of course, you know, it's okay to use their names because they've already been out there on TV and so forth. There's a lot out there about this case. One of the interesting parallels that has sort of- interfaced with a different part of my professional life is, you know, I work on Undisclosed. Right. They are also looking at a case, a Georgia case, and they are also having the same hangups with the Georgia disclosure, the loopholes that they have to not disclose things in the state of Georgia. I know this is something that like makes you a little bit crazy, right, Laura? Oh, my God. I was like going crazy listening to the judge that was retaliating against the reporter that had made the request and his attorney. Like that was just, oh my goodness. And and that they got away with that. Yeah, that was one of my fight the man moments. If I had been <laughs> there, I would have gone wild. Now, I know that you guys aren't listening necessarily to Undisclosed Season 2, but one of the things that's made me crazy listening to the tape, because I take their tape and put the podcast together, is that they uh, are trying to get the audio from the trial of the guy that the Innocence Project is trying to uh, exonerate. And George is just saying no. You can't have it. Like for no real reason. You did a thing, no. And that's just something apparently that flies in that state in a way it doesn't fly other places. And, you know, you're making a podcast. Audio is kind of like a important component of that. And if you think about what, you know, Bill Rankin is able to do with Breakdown, mm-hmm. also Georgia, but he's able to navigate the system so well, I think, because he was a reporter 
like in the courts for so long. Like he just knows, I think, how to. Yeah. Well, he's also there in the court at the time the stuff is being introduced as evidence. Exactly. It's if he wanted to do this for something that happened ten years ago, there are obstacles. Right. But he can do it himself. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys about was the victim in this case. Um, I think that we get a pretty bland picture of her when the podcast is set up. You know, another missing white girl, beautiful, everyone loved her, yada, yada, yada. There's a clips of her family talking about how she had every, her whole life ahead of her. And I think it's pretty clear just from the stuff that's out there and then also the email that we heard and then, you know, this very complex set of relationships that she had and she was a troubled person, and the victimology then changes a little bit, right, Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> Laura, what do you think about this case? What do you think about the victim? What do you think about the people that we've been introduced to kind of around Tara Grinstead? Can you imagine a storyline here of what potentially happened to this woman? Yes. It's sort of what I was talking about last week when we were talking about what is your hope for the next season of Serial, and I said someone having a double life. And I feel like we could be going there with her. I mean, it seems like... There was definitely a lot more going on in her life that we didn't know about. There's a lot of things so far that have come out that make me think there might be more to that. Like the police officer who left the card on her door when she was missing. I feel like there's going to be more to him, you know, in terms of their personal relationship and friendship. And it just seems like I was thinking initially when this first started, it's like this is, you know, like someone knows something in a sense because we have somebody that's a documentary maker doing a missing persons case and similar things with the sounds that we're hearing as they're out trudging around and hiking around. But I think this case is a lot more interesting because there's so many twists and turns in it and so many places that you can go. I just feel like I'm hoping for the double life. Um, that That's what I think. I think maybe she's living somewhere. That would be really exciting. Like maybe she's like secretly I living somewhere. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> well, okay. I don't think she is either. But I think that the double life and that there was something else going on in her life that we don't know about. Toby, what do you think of this case? I'm also curious to know what you think about Dr. Maurice Godwin, that PI that now is consulting with pain and helping him out and basically feeding him like saying here's what you need to do next son you know you need to go under that house you need to bring a paper bag what, what do you think of this guy as a character what do you think of the case i'm just curious to hear your thoughts i don't want to compare him to like hannibal lecter but he played sort of the same kind of role as sort of this you know sage who's, who's kind of giving good professional advice and then at the very end when he kind of teases this I've got this one lead that I'm going to follow until the end of that lead, and then I'm going to quit. And it has to do with this guy who committed suicide. In the note that he left, it had to deal with this disappearance. So it was a good tease. I mean, I think that's one of the things, you know, I, I think you can go either way on this. I don't think it's intrinsically good or bad, but he does, like, leave almost every episode on a cliffhanger. Yeah. It, there's always something that it's like, okay, and then what happens? And it's like, well, you know, next week or in this case – you know, three weeks from now or two weeks from right. now or whatever. There are interesting characters in this case. There's the ex-boyfriend, Marcus Harper. There's the older cop, maybe boyfriend, friend of the parents, Heath Dykes. There's Anthony Vickers, the ex-student. Benny Merritt, the guy that the ex-boyfriend and the cop, Sean Fletcher, that was their alibi, that they were chasing that guy, Benny Merritt, around town. Benny Merritt was also a neighbor of hers. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting. You know, it's it's very, very tricky to go to a cop did it or a former cop did it and other cops are covering it up for him. 
when you think about cops the way we traditionally think of cops, which is like sort of overseeing the community. But when you hear how much these cops were actually already part of the story before the disappearance, like they already had interactions with her. Her ex-boyfriend was a cop. It gets more interesting. It actually reminds me a lot of the story that we told in the book, Our Little Secret, Kevin, where there we live in a very small town. The killer lived in a very small town. Right. And one of the people who knew he committed the crime, allegedly, is a cop. Right. What's you, the name of that book? Our Little Secret. Can you get it through the Amazon link at <laughs> crimewritersign.com? You can. But do you remember how disbelieving we were at the, when we started the project of how could a cop have known anything and then just like gone on to be like a small town cop and never have said anything to anybody. Yeah, and I don't. I, I certainly don't think we came down on any side of that. Right. However, you know, there was documentation. There was there's to show. stuff about what he told. Yep. What this police officer told other investigators years later, and you can draw your own conclusions about whether or not you know what he said sounded sincere. Right, and that or, could... or whether a law enforcement professional should have. Come forward and said, should I have think, known, uh, had a different sense of, I, I, I don't know. I, that's someone I'm not I, trying I knew to impugn anyone. Yeah. killed somebody. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. It's what happened. And now you could call that a police cover up if you want to. But you don't have, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying it is. Yeah. But you could call it that. Or you could call it a failed investigation. Do you know why? Because that cop was part of the story. Mm-hmm. He knew the killer like before. And that's a very small town thing. And that's why I think small town stories are like the most interesting stories. Yeah. And if you look if you look at the best selling genre of fiction right now, crime fiction especially, it's like domestic suspense. Domestic suspense is basically the same thing as a small town story. Like you don't need a million people to tell a good story. It could all happen in a house. Mm-hmm. Right, Laura? Yeah. Cozy mysteries. You know. Cozy mysteries. <laughs> Grandma's cowboy cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache series in front of the fireplace, drinking scotch, as they always do in that uh, in those books. All right. Well, I'm just curious to know, you know, temperature taking time, if you guys plan to continue listening to Up and Vanished, and just like, I'm not going to ask you to grade it, just right now, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Laura, I'm going to start with you. I am going to keep listening. I definitely, I have a lot of interest in what else we're going to learn about her life and um, any of the other characters she was involved with. And also, you know, this whole police angle, because that is, that's very interesting. Because wasn't it one of the police officers that lived down the road from the house? You betcha. Yeah. So and it was his car. And it was, and it was his, his car. car that was burned out. And there was a row of bushes allegedly yeah. between the car and the house that was not burned. Toby, yeah. did you think that was interesting too? Yeah. I mean, it's just a lot of, if I was looking for a case to do a podcast on and could do some background, it's, it's that kind of stuff. I think that keeps the narrative moving along and keeps and going back to serial season one. It's like that's the kind of stuff that that keeps you thinking about what could have happened. There's enough ambiguity in what you're learning that you can kind of run through scenarios in your mind. So I don't know if we've transitioned to me saying whether I'm going to keep listening. But well, first, why don't we get a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways from Laura? Where are you at right now with the podcast, Laura? Um, thumbs up. Okay, Toby, go ahead. We've officially transitioned to you. Oh, we have. Um, <laughs> I, I give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I admire, you know, the work that he's done and I think he's done it the right way. And I think there's enough, he has enough balls in the air, I guess that <laughs> he said balls. It, yeah. God, <laughs> why did I even say that? He has enough elements in this story. I, I assume it's going to continue to be a good listen. So yeah, I, you know, kudos. I uh, started out thumb sideways, and I was thumb sideways. I heard grandma went thumbs up hesitantly. And then I really started to get 
what it was that pain is doing with this podcast. It is, I think, easy to compare with and maybe hold up unfavorably to like journalism podcasts or, you know, really heavily designed podcasts like Tannis even, which is, of course, a fiction podcast, which has very sophisticated sound design. But to me, there's something about it is really sticking. It feels fresh. It feels new. And yes, I talked to Payne and liked him a lot, a lot, a lot. But he also seems like an ethical person who is treading lightly, even though he's getting like a whole lot accomplished. Now, that could go a different way, obviously, if he, you know, if things go horribly wrong. We could be retracting all of this later. But so far, like, I'm just really impressed, A, with his gumption. I'm impressed with his, yes, his creativity. And I, now that I think back to the things I didn't like about when I first started hearing it, I actually sort of admire those things now because I really get what it is he's trying to do. So for me, thumbs up. I will keep listening. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I'm going thumbs sideways right now. And Payne, I know you're listening. I think you should keep it up. You know, I'm really hopeful that he's able to pull this off. I don't know. Again, it's it's a big swing to be able to do this. And maybe he's sitting on this. I mean, he's promising stuff that the next six episodes or so are really going to tie this story up. But we've been there. I don't. I wouldn't say that this sounds fresh to me. I think it sounds very much like the post-serial podcasts that are trying to emulate, some might say co-opt, the style and the effect and glory of a true crime podcast, that it's you know easier to produce than a documentary on film. But in the end, I want to be able to say, this was great. I'm glad I got this. Just like if I got a gift from thegromit.com for Christmas... <laughs> I want to you know, be able to say, wow, man, this was great. Where did you find this gift? A second transition, Kevin. Oh, wow. That's very, I was not expecting that. It's very smooth. Yeah. This year, I'm going to actually be doing all of my Christmas shopping at The Gromit. The Gromit is a website which is a lot like the coolest boutique shop you've ever been to. They have their team, the Gromit team, has gone to the trouble of finding the coolest, most unique quality gifts from throughout the country. And I'm doing... Say that a little fully there. I'm doing my Christmas shopping, and I got everybody here. Wait a minute, was that just a dig at Up and Vanished? All no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm being self. I, I, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm being. Uh, you did complain about all the paper rustling. Side I, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did. I'm, I'm being cheeky. I'm being cheeky. I think Payne can take it. I've got my Christmas list here, and everybody on the show is getting something from the Gromit. Are you ready? Yes. For Toby, I am getting you the Listen Reclaimed Wood headphones. Oh, that sounds for awesome. for the podcast. They're a really cool set of headphones, and they're made with wood that was reclaimed from some different exotic furniture stores. So they're very sleek-looking headphones, but, you know, also, like, the inside of a guitar or a violin where it just sort of gives the sound that sort of warm resonance. Same thing that you'd get on these headphones. You know, you actually have to buy those for him now because you said you were going to. Absolutely, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm psyched. Laura, I'm going to get you something, not for your filthy, Cat sexually... <laughs> And your, nasty your woman sexually of a cat. promiscuous cat. <laughs> but for your dog buddy, it's the iFetch Auto Ball Launcher. <gasps> now think of this. Imagine like about the size. It reminds me of like a humidifier, a, a small tennis ball launcher, right? Okay. It takes these mini tennis balls and it'll it'll shoot them about between three and ten feet. So you can put it like at the end of a hallway. Mm-hmm. Boom! The dog will go fetch. But what the dog can do is come back and drop the ball into the 
Playing with himself. Play with him by himself. So the so the dog can play oh. as much as he wants. And you should see the video that the ground puts up to show people that people and dogs. The dogs are like jumping on their feet. They're it's so excited. Expensive. Can we afford to get that for Lara? It's it's not as expensive I as you would think. I think she can buy that for herself. <laughs> Rebecca, for you. I have I have no money now that I paid my vet bill. You, Rebecca, I'm going to get you the. I want po- the dog ball thing. You know our our dogs suck. They're not going to get <laughs> the, the ball's going to go down the hallway and it's going to. Still s- getting it, by the way. You are. You're getting the Polarity Recycled Magnet Locket. Gromit has a lot of other things besides gadgets. They have clothes. They have jewelry. This is a piece of jewelry that you'll like. It's a locket, uh, but first of all, it's magnetic, so it's not on a hinge. Mm-hmm. It closes, and it's made from recycled auto parts. Little these little caps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artist, her name is Cat. She, uh, her husband, uh, is a mechanic. She used these, and she, they have all sorts of really neat designs. And that's what you're getting. You're terrible describing things, but it sounds cool. It sounds cool. And this is what I got myself. I got myself this from the Gromit. You hear this? Yes. It's the Whiskey Wedge. That came from the Gromit? It did. Listen to this. Hold on. <laughs> I love that. It's a rocks glass. And why it's called the Whiskey Wedge is it comes with a silicone insert in the shape of a, a wedge. And what you do is you pour the water into it and put it in the freezer so the ice freezes it's like a ski slope, a perfect triangle. That's right. You pour your spirits on top of that, and it's a slow-melting ice cube, of course, and it just cools everything Every down. Every sip is cold. And it looks great. I'm going to tweet a picture of myself out drinking from my uh, my own gift from the the whiskey wedge from the ground. So wait a minute. You got yourself something before you got anything for the rest of us? I'm not wow. saying that it hasn't already arrived. <laughs> I'm just telling everybody some of the cool stuff that they could get this holiday season. Give your gifts some thought. Visit thegromit.com slash crime writers, and you will receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. That's thegromit, G-R-O-M-M-E-T dot com slash crime writers, and receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. Thegromit.com slash crime writers. Crime writers. Writers, that's what I said. Crime writers. I'm just going to drink my whiskey. Now let's move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the... (laughs) (laughs) Of the week. The crime of the week. The week. It's local. Locally sourced crime of the week, guys. Local to us. This happened like a mile from my office. Not even. This happened like half a mile from my office. I'm closer to the place than you are, actually. (laughs) It could have happened to you. Could have happened. No. No, it couldn't have. (laughs) I'll tell you why in a second. Dateline, Concord, New Hampshire. Can you say that? Dateline, Concord, New Hampshire. Guess what happened late at night at the Concord Food Cooperative? A man who claimed to be a vampire is facing charges for attacking a woman outside the very expensive, very organic Concord Food Co-op on Main Street in Concord, New Hampshire. Police say a store employee was taking boxes out to a dumpster around 1.40 a.m. when 21-year-old Jacob May approached her. Police said May then began moving closer to the worker, claiming he was a vampire and that he could, quote, help her. That's that's (laughs) fucking creepy. (laughs) The worker then ran away while May pursued her, yelling, just touch me. I can save you. Police said the worker fell to the ground and that May then wrapped his arms around oh, her. Oh, that, that's, yeah, that's not funny. That's scary. A male co-worker attempted to intervene and May threw a punch at him, initiating a fight. The co-worker then pulled out a box cutter in an attempt to intimidate May. May then reportedly took off running and ended up inside a walk-in freezer. Inside the co-op. Cars. Yes. In the fr- it caused another scuffle when the co-worker tried to lock him into the freezer. 
So then police finally arrived and May told an arresting officer that he was, quote, a vampire, a ghost rider, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid, and a leader of the band. A smoker, a joker, a midnight toker. I think that's where he was going with that, yes. Wow. I think mostly the midnight toker. Midnight toker. <laughs> so here is my question for you all. <laughs> Toby Ball, if you were going to be attacked behind your very pricey, very organic local food co-op, would you prefer to be mugged by a vampire, a ghost rider, Jack Sparrow, Mr. Miyagi, or the leader of a band? And why? Uh, it depends on what band we're talking about. Is it like Belinda Carlisle? <laughs> Air Supply. <laughs> You're being attacked by the guys from Air Supply. No. Is, it, is it Susanna Haas? <laughs> oh, I'd lie down for that. <laughs> or is it Ted Nugent? I, you got to be more specific on this one. I would rather, uh, I think I'd go with a, a band leader on the hopes that it's somebody fun. What about you, Laura? If you're going to be attacked behind your very pricey, very organic local food co-op, do you want to be mugged by a vampire, a ghost rider, Jack Sparrow, Mr. Miyagi, or the leader of a band, and why? You know, I'm going to go with Jack Sparrow because a similar thing happened to me on my honeymoon. You were attacked by Jack Sparrow. <laughs> I swear to God. So we were on our honeymoon on the lovely island of St. John in the Virgin Islands. And we were at a bar and there was a guy next to me who was lived on this like broken down boat in the harbor that we were next to. And he's like, I'm a pirate and I'm going to abscond with you to my pirate ship. And my husband didn't even defend me. He's like, take her. You'll send her back. She talks too much. You'll send her back. Did he have a parrot and everything? <laughs> yeah, he had like the whole outfit and he was like literally wanted to take He had an him. outfit? Yeah, oh, yeah. Wait. He, he was into this. Your husband said that if the guy kidnapped you, he wouldn't want to keep you. So he was welcome just to try. On yeah. your honeymoon. Oh, yeah. He also, by the way, <laughs> on my Did you marry O'Henry? This was after I was bitten by the scorpion and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. On your honeymoon? On my honeymoon. <laughs> And yeah, I, Jesus Christ, you got to write about your honeymoon. Yeah, bit by a scorpion on St. John's? It was a baby one. It climbed into the flipper of my snorkeling gear, like from my foot, and I put my foot in and got stung. Oh, and God. I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. And my husband goes, oh, you're fine. And I'm like, I just got bit by a scorpion. This sounds like the worst honeymoon ever. Isn't he a life-saving professional, your husband? He's a paramedic. So I thought, and I was like, well, you must know what you're talking about. Maybe I just need a drink. I don't know. That isn't like one of those things no. you're supposed to pee on, right? No, that's jellyfish. That's jellyfish. No, I think you're supposed to like bite it and then suck the blood out so the venom doesn't. Oh, and your no, foot? that's a rattlesnake. <laughs> How? Why Jesus. would it be different for rattlesnake venom than? I don't know. Scorpion? We know nothing. I, I think it's just the bite. By the way, the health professionals among our audience right now. Oh, they're flipping shit. They're <laughs> they like, oh right my god. We're gonna get so many emails this week about safety. So I would go with uh, Mr. Miyagi. Mm. Because I feel like he's taught me everything I know to defend myself against him yeah. already. All I need to do is wax off, and we're about to be all set. Yeah. And maybe if you're lucky, he will paint the fence or, and sand yeah. the floor. Maybe if I'm lucky, he'll do some move, and I can do that like crane, like crane situation technique. that we all know how to do from when we were kids and watched that movie. If you're lucky, he'll take the chopsticks and catch your nose right between them <laughs> like the fly. All right, Kevin. So if you were attacked behind your very pricey, very organic local food mm -hmm. co-op, do you want to be mugged by a vampire, a ghost rider, Jack Sparrow, Mr. Miyagi, or the leader of a band, and why? I'd do a vampire because I probably could fend him off by making a crucifix out of two pieces of expensive gluten-free French baguettes <laughs> that they would have and just and just uh, hold them at bay. All right, that's a good strategy, and we should probably And I probably could up. hit him with a stake use, like from some special reclaimed wood. <laughs> it was, say, it was reclaimed from stamps. Indian train tracks. <laughs> 
You could also fend him off with the organic garlic that they yeah. probably sell there, right? Yeah. Can I change my answer now? Yes. Okay. What do you want? Because I think Kevin's got a pretty good strategy. <laughs> Maybe we're going to have a picnic afterwards. <laughs> All right. We should probably end it on that note. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to connect with you on social media, maybe tweet to you, maybe react to your mea culpa to the entire nation of Ireland, how can they reach you? Well, I hope they'll tweet some ideas for Irish culture that I will, you know, read, listen, whatever to as penance to at Toby Ball NH. Oh, sorry. Is that it? Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, don't <laughs> It's Toby I Ball, so, I-R-E so, now. Like, the election has got me, like, I can barely even think. Let me guess you're not going anywhere near Twitter now. I'm look, I'm going on Twitter right now to make sure it is at Toby Ball. Yeah, we know. Toby, we've been the rest you, of us know. We've been listening to you say this for two years. <laughs> <laughs> we can just skip you on this part because everybody else knows what it is. At Toby Ball, N-H. Yeah. Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to tweet some cat chlamydia remedies your way, <laughs> how can they find you on the Twitter? It's at Laura Bricker, and uh, I love all the cat pictures, people. Keep it up. The cat of the week this week is named Kiss, and it belongs to Bethany, who lives in Anguilla. Um, Kiss likes to eat cantaloupe and papaya for breakfast. Ah. Oh, my God. That would my cat be- eats cantaloupe, too. Guys. That would be soothing to a cat urinary tract infection. We're literally so. talking about cats right now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love doing this podcast. What happened? <laughs> We just talk about scorpions, pirates, and vampires. <laughs> Kevin I mean, Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you, how can they find you on the Twitter? Well, Toby, on behalf of Irish Americans, we forgive you. Thank you. The folks at the old country, though, they have what they call Irish Alzheimer's. <laughs> Forget everything except the grudge. <laughs> um, oh <my> God. <laughs> You'll be getting the tweets this week. Yeah, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Find us on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. Email us your questions and voice memos at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. Sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using that Amazon link at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. Please review this show on iTunes, especially if you love it. It really helps us stay on the charts. Before you close your podcast app, check out our sister show, These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. It's getting really, really good. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Studio C at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. the high-tech studio we keep in a closet in our basement. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I mean, I've heard of feline AIDS, and that's serious, but cat chlamydia? It's a whole different thing. When your vet says, I haven't seen this in a long time, you know, like, oh, shit, this is going to be expensive. in crime media. media.
TheGromit.com has unique items across a variety of categories, and every weekday they introduce a new product. On The Gromit, there's something for everyone, especially those people who are hard to buy for. This holiday season, give your gifts some thought. Visit TheGromit.com slash CrimeWriters, and you'll receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. That's TheGromit.com slash CrimeWriters, and receive $10 off your first $50 purchase. TheGromit.com slash Crime Writers.